Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, an emergency assembly in the embers of an embarrassment and the emergence of an epic relegation battle. We thought we'd have a chat, as it's the first time for a long time that it's looked in any way bleak for Norwich fans. The first season of this podcast was covering a stuttering mid-table season, uh, but since then it's been nothing but joy and excitement. So, uh, also I'm away with work next week, so we can't do one then. So we thought we'd quickly get together. We don't need a guest. Um, I'm joined, as ever, by the gorgeous John Punt. Hello. Uh, and the guy that we also know, Andrew Lorne. Hey, Roy. Uh, and we are going to talk through uh, the fact that people are, are starting to panic. There's only there's only the one uh, point on the agenda, and it is don't panic, Captain Mannering. Punt, what say you to the, the bedwetters? Um, well, there's obvious mitigation. There's clear mitigation. I mean, this is... I don't know if you boys can name me a worse injury crisis than Norwich City have ever had. This is definitely the worst that I remember, and, and I'm older than both of you. So um, so I'm not drinking Farker's Kool-Aid here, but the performance against Villa was woeful. But he's come out in the press conference afterwards, and he's given really good rationale as to why this squad is jaded, why they're running on empty, You've got players on the bench who are half fit. You've got players on the pitch that are half fit. And actually, this is now the perfect time. This is the perfect time to get everyone, or not everyone, back to fitness, but a lot of players back to fitness. And unfortunately, I've just seen Kenny McLean might be injured as well. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but to get loads of people back to fitness. What's Kenny like, McLean done? Oh, fuck knows. And to be fair, it's probably one of these, well, he's got a little bit of a niggle, so let's not send him on an international duty just in case another one of our midfielders um, breaks down. But on that front, um, you've got Tom Tribal probably returning after the international break. You've got hopefully Mario Vrancic returning after the international break. Hopefully Zimmerman as well. Zimmerman, Zimmerman is coming back. That's a, is that fact? Have we, have we sourced that? Because yeah, Charlie Wyatt says that uh, he's expected to return earlier than expected. So that's a Sun journalist. Uh, yeah, I, should, I, I prefer not to think of it as that. I, I prefer to think of him as someone I follow on Twitter. Oh, mate. Well, that's bad enough, mate. Come on. Oh, yeah, but he's, no, he's a nonsense. Let's yeah, think he's a nonsense. It, he sometimes, he sometimes has as, information that's real. He, let's think of could, it as optimism. However, um, Zimmerman gave an interview with Archant about two weeks ago saying kind of early in the new year, maybe the back end of December. So unless stuff has drastically changed... The only thing I would say on that front is he was in the air boot um, for Saturday's game. He was no longer in the air boot in a photograph I saw of him. I can't remember where it was I saw, but it was a couple of days ago. So there's there's clearly progress being made, which is good. But getting back you to the point... You don't wear that all the time, do you? Yeah, I think you have to pretty much keep your weight off it all the time. So you're either on crutches or on that air boot. Back to your oh, point, though, punt, on the on the... The, the game, I, I was I was sat sat at Carroll Road and and on the on the walk home, um, talking to to anyone that would listen, uh, a bit like a podcast really, um, about the fact that I, I hadn't seen listen. I hadn't seen the stats at, at that point. However, it didn't feel to me like like a five one. It felt like if you give someone four goals, I mean, and literally the sort of gifts that you maybe sometimes get one in every ten or eleven games, but we gave four easy goals away um if you turn over possession like that uh to a, a half decent championship team um upwards 
you're going to concede a goal from them. We gave four of those types of goals away and could have done a fifth one with the penalty. Um, it was nearly 60-40 possession, 58 to us, 42 to them. We had 21 shots to their 22. We had four more corners than them. So whilst, yes, they were maybe a bit more effective with turning those shots into those on target, um, and whilst they were a bit more direct once they got those the, the, the turnover of, of possession in, in halfway through our half, if Emmy doesn't give them two goals, if Leitner doesn't give them a goal, all of a sudden it's a, it's a scoreline that's a lot more reflective. I mean, people were saying, oh, dreadful defending, dreadful defending. It was dreadful midfielding that caused the majority of the goals. Yes, we looked a bit rocky at times defensively, but um, no more so than half of the Premier League, if you've been watching any of the highlights of some of the other tosh that's in, in the league we're currently in, um, and, and last season, to be fair. So I, I, I just don't think that... I don't think that you can... I don't think there's any reason to be concerned, injury crisis or not. I think it was a bad day at the office. Um, Emmy was abysmal and should have been pulled at half time. Um, and and if, the, and if it's the case that he's running on empty, some some players were having pain injections and they weren't quite as sharp. Then then that would lead to to, to make sense as to why why so many players had an off day. But it it, it wasn't. It, it didn't to me look like a, an FA Cup third round Premier League versus League Two or something insane. To, I, I thought we were far more competitive in that game than Newcastle were, for example, it, when we beat them by, by a smaller scoreline on the same ground. I don't know if you agree I, with I that at all. I think there's something in that, but I think the stats don't, don't tell the picture of the actual match. So, and, and what worried me off the back of this is I've watched Villa two or three times this season and they've been dreadful in both boxes, like absolutely dreadful, really good in midfield, but but dreadful in both boxes. And it was the exact opposite for me in, in terms of Villa were really sharp in the final thirds and their defensive third and, and restricted us to as much as we can say we had 21 shots. I don't know if you boys can name a time where we seriously troubled Tom Heaton because I can't recall one. Whereas well, I, think Michael... I think Joseph Dermott's troubled him. I think yeah, you're well, both but... right because I think the stats do paint a picture of a game that wasn't as bad as it felt, but it yeah, felt and it wasn't. Awful. I agree, and it and it felt it did feel awful. But name me a game where you lose five one, you know, and it feels all right. You know, we we took a Tonkin, and we rightly took a Tonkin because we were really poor in key areas. And I think some of that is down to Villa and Dean Smith getting his side, you know, really tactically astute and pressing us in the right areas and denying the midfield of space in the right areas, which caused Leitner and Buendia to give away the ball. Some of it was just dickhead passing, of course, you know, and actually that's, but the, goals that's were, the worst mate, I've the, seen Leitner. The, the, goal, the goals were dickhead passing, and, and that's the point. You, you, the, the chances that Villa were capable of creating themselves were all from long balls to the back stick. For, like, the first half was purely less stick a long ball to the back stick for Wesley to nod down. Like That was their only idea of creating, creating chances. John McGinn looked really, really busy, um, but uh, against a team who aren't going to give you as many chances as we did on Saturday, it will not work for them having McGinn so, so deep-lying. Um, and if you, if you take away those four gifts of goals... Um, then, then I, I don't think the actual shape and the pattern of the game is reflective of, of. I don't think they are four goals better than us as a team. And again, I, I go back to the Newcastle game. Newcastle didn't come anywhere close to creating twenty-one shots. However comfortable we were, and however no, much no, we outside the area they were, I, I don't think it was a mismatch like that. It was just, you know, four, you know, four or five dickhead moments of which they missed a penalty for the fifth one. Um, and and you and and. 
and yeah, if people are jaded, if people are tired, then then that might be why they're they're, they're so poor. But I mean, we we've got the the attitude of the attitude of Emmy was abysmal from from early on in the game. The failing to run back, which I've been which you know it's been on my radar from him before, um, throwing his arms up in the air, hissy fits, staying down, which happened for one of the goals as well, staying down and rolling around when clearly we weren't going to get anything. That the ref was was letting the game go for nearly everything 50-50 wise. So rolling around, holding his ankle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. he was really whistle happy with some stuff. I thought he was really whistle happy. Well, nothing with Emmy. Like, Emmy didn't get anything. Yeah, anything yeah, but I, em, I don't em, think Emmy deserved anything. Emmy was no, no, trying no, to buy free kicks. But that's the point. That's the point. But once it doesn't, once it's not happening, what you don't do is is throw a hissy fit. You immediately jump up and you tear back and you and you, and you get back now. And and, and I for agree. me, Emmy needs to learn that side of the game. Um, and this brings me on to, um, I, you know, Emmy's Emmy's incredible, wonderful footballer. I think he needs to have, you know, maybe they're going too much with the arm around the shoulder than the stern talking to because they feel that's how to manage him. I, I, I feel he needs he needs some discipline in, in that particular area. But the, um, you know, that, that's that's one thing. My only other moan of 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 the game, um, other than that, I'm happy to just put it down to, you know, we're only just into the bottom three, you know, for the first time since right at the start of the season, and three points still takes you to eleventh. You know, it's it's very early days. I'm not I'm not worried at all, um, for the long term you know scope of the season but again um the ability to tactically respond okay he's limited in what he's got on the bench but i do not understand why we're not making changes earlier in that game and um, what you've got already is so clearly not working the players look jaded they look like they've run out of ideas and at 3-1 um the next goal is absolutely critical we've seen that we can come back from 3-0 down and score loads of goals we can come back from 4-1 down and score loads of goals this is the team where a spark and the Carrow Road atmosphere can carry you and and get an unbelievable comeback now I'm not saying that would have happened on Saturday but Farker made no attempt to get us back in that game he had written that game off at half time but it could I have been that he didn't have anything on the bench that he could bring on because yeah. we're so Adam Ida, why are you not giving Adam so Ida a run why are you not giving I, I think, can, I think Roberts what, is though? fair I think Roberts is fair and Roberts has and Dermich earned his you know, chance. Uh, Dermich, Dermich looks dreadful. Like, let's so, not so, sugarcoat so, it. So, Dermich but you looks can't put, dreadful. You can't put, he looks a million times Adam better Ida. than Benny. You can't no, put Adam Ida Ida. I'm not sure about a million times better. No, I do. So, but, so but, Benny is dreadful. Ida should be above Shabeni. Shabeni is an average championship footballer. He might be a good lad, but, you know... It, where, it are you getting, where are you getting the ra- rationale that... Adam Ida should be ahead of Sabeni in the pecking order based on what? Because we haven't really seen him. Exactly. I've, I've, I've seen Shabeni. I don't need to see him anymore. I want to see Ida to see if he's anything. Because my point is, if the game is gone, if you if the game is gone, if you don't feel there's anything you can get out of it, then why? Uh, and then you're going to come out in the press afterwards and say, "Oh, God, everyone's so tired." All right, well, give him a fucking rest then. Like, do, give do a couple of the players to? that you think like bring Pookie off and and put someone else on and say, "Okay, Pont thinks you've been shit there, Mitch." And again, I don't think you've, he's, we've seen him anywhere near enough to to believe that the games that he's come on in have been games where basically every time we've seen him, the game is gone. By the his time, first was, touch is awful, though. His first touch is it, is, it wasn't, it wasn't, is the, dreadful. wasn't the goal that he created for himself on Saturday. Um, he just but, went in for a challenge with the keeper. Yeah, which was his first touch, and it, it turned into a goal. But uh, <laughs> I'm not defending him. I, I don't think we've seen enough of him to, to judge. My, my point with my point with bringing <laughs> so him. You do think we've seen enough of Ida to judge? No, yeah, no, I don't. Seen no, anything? No, no, that's my point. We haven't seen anything of Ida, so why not? Let's see what we've got there. Let's see if we've got an option. Let's see if uh, let's get get him some minutes. Let's make it so oh, that yeah. if if I, we bring I, him I on in a game that's if we bring him on in a game that's one one, that's two one, that's tight, 
we don't want that to be his first experience or or his or or one of his first games. Let's get him 20, 30 minutes of of Premier League action in a game that we think is a dead rubber, um, so that when he is then. Um, called upon and actually, you know, Pookie has turned an ankle or we really do need need him to come on in a game that's, you know, teetering on the brink, that isn't in his head that, oh God, this is my first opportunity to play at Carrow Road or, or you know, for the for the first team. And and likewise Dermich, likewise Roberts, let's see what we've got in these players. Let's 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 say to them, okay, th- this this is not going well. Here's half an hour. Go and see if you can change it. I, I just do not see the point in I, I completely respect that he believes in if we're currently winning or it's cur- or we're currently drawing or you know we're within a goal it's very tight etc um I, I completely respect that his way is i will leave it until the 90th minute because i believe my methods are right i believe plan a will get us over the line and in the championship in particular he was proven right on that um, so i understand the logic of him not wanting to change things but when you're two or three goals down what is the fucking point? So in not, what, not giving people a chance. But what we're saying is he hasn't got anyone fit on the bench necessarily to bring on. Patrick Roberts, Dermich, either. So, why so not? I agree. Why not bring him on? Or so, Benny, so if you think Benny's decent, give him longer than ten minutes. So on that, if if we go through those players, I think you can't. I think Lorne's right. You can't bring Dermich and Sabeni and Ida on all at the same time. I think you've got an absolute stonewall valid point with Patrick Roberts and he's he's got himself into a position where he deserves a chance. Cantwell was playing with a dodgy hammy. He should be getting 30, 35 minutes. I think to your point in, in relation to Adam Ida, I think Farker's canny enough that if you bring him on, and what were we probably, when you're thinking about bringing him on, we're three, four nil down at that point already. Um, you don't, I don't think that should be his first experience of Premier League football because what Farker's probably aware of is if you roll back 14 months, 16 months, however long it was before it was quite nasty um, and the crowd were getting on the players' backs or the crowd was getting on the board's back or, or whoever it might be, I don't think that you want either to be introduced to Premier League football or first-team football in that way. I think you need to carefully nurture him. And I don't think he'd be anywhere near the bench if we didn't have... Um, or if we had more fit professionals around the club at the moment. I think if Hanley had been properly fit, you don't stick three strikers on the bench. You know, that's, I, I just, for, for a team that plays one up front, I just can't see that. Um, so, yeah, I think he probably could have brought Dermich on earlier, but then you're probably going to be hooking Pookie or going two up top. Yes, he, he could have brought Patrick Roberts on early, but. We could have gone to up top if we had a plan B because um, Steeperman was, uh, you know, has had two or three games where he's been really ineffective. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we do need to look at maybe going two up top. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think in the Premier League, it would be really difficult to go two up top against some sides, against Villa. Maybe there was no harm in changing it. I think you're right. There's, tactically, there was zero harm in changing it. But what we've learned is Farker is not the most tactically flexible manager. Um, we saw That's that. a polite way of putting it. <laughs> well, actually, he isn't. And actually, Michael Bailey wrote a really good piece in The Athletic that Farker has almost taken his lead from you you know your guardiolas in so much as you don't have a plan b you just make plan a better and i think farker probably knew at that point if that's his his kind of modus operandi that you know he he can't really make plan a better with what he's got on the bench so let's just ride it off and get through it 
Yeah, now, I see the I see the logic of that, but we've learned nothing. So he's got, a fan. So, so on your point, on your point of how do we make Plan A better, he has no idea if Roberts will make Plan A better Agreed. against Agreed. Man United. Agreed. He's got no idea if Dermic actually, with longer in the game, can actually be um, a, a viable option. Could, could play the Steepman role behind Pukki for for longer. Yeah, like he, he's proven nothing there. That 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 was. And, and again, I'm I still I'm not calling for the manager to be sacked. I'm not. I still think we'll we'll have enough over the course of the season to to stay up. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want us to radically change formation. I don't want us to radically change the way we're playing. I, I just, you know, they, they are, they are. It's the sort of game where you you start to revert to type as a supporter if you think, well, do you know what? This is something that has always ticked me off with Farker. I'm not going to complain about it when things are going well. But do you know what? When I think the, the game is screaming out for a change and the opposition is making changes on 64th minute, 70th minute, and we still haven't made any, you think, what What about this is working, Daniel? Which, which part of this game is, is going to your plan? And, and, I, and I think the only, the only mitigation that, that you can come up with around that is around the fact that he knows that actually there's probably three or four of those players carrying and if you bring on a Patrick Roberts early, if you bring on, no, 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 but they carry it. They are carrying injuries. We know that, you know, Godfrey's playing through with painkillers. Lewis is, is playing with an injured elbow is that if you then subsequently go and make those changes and I don't know, you blow your load and you bring two subs on and then suddenly Godfrey goes down and it's like, you know what? He can't continue what are we going to do? You know, we, we then suddenly, and we're finishing the game with 10 men. And I think he may have been more aware of that than we were, because when he came out post-match, he was like, do you know what? This isn't even a threadbare squad. This is just a fucked squad that, that needs a couple of, of weeks of um, rest and recuperation. So I think there's reasons behind it, but definitely sat in the stands. I was with you, Tom, in so much as Roberts should have got more minutes. Um, and I'd have perhaps like to have seen maybe Sabeni come on a bit earlier as well. Okay. Well, what about you, Lorne? You know, we we started off by saying to punt. You know, do do you see any reason to panic? I mean, you are the perennial. Everything is fine. Um, so, so <laughs> I'm how, certainly how not as up and down as in the last pod. You said you'll never question Farco again. Um, today, <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't say I never question again. Sacked. No, you did. did. You said exactly that. No, I didn't. I said that I would never doubt. I could never doubt the the team going into a game again. I could never doubt them. I could never doubt that manager and that group of players, whatever the context is going into a game, because they are capable of of producing the incredible off the back of the City game. And that's still the case. It doesn't mean that I would never say to any manager of, of any manager, you know, it doesn't matter what you do for the rest of your career. I'm never going to question a single decision of yours. Well, that's what I, I was, it, it was pu- it was purely oh. it was purely in response to the fact that we all thought we might have got tonked seven eight nine against City, and you know we were, we've been this squad have proven us that they can you know defy the odds. But you know I, that doesn't mean that you don't make a substitution when you're three 0 down and there's there's nothing else available for you in the game. My own reflection on Saturday was that it was just awful being there. Everything about the experience was awful, but. As I say quite often to my wife, there's a difference between an excuse and a reason. And the injuries at the moment aren't an excuse, they're a reason. So I'm not panicked. And we had a conversation in our WhatsApp group the next day as to whether or not you would swap beating City 3-2 and losing 5-1 to Villa the other way around. So you lose 5-1 to City and beat Villa on the basis that beating a direct relegation rival is more valuable than beating a team that you're not really competing with. 
And I said at the time, no, I wouldn't swap, even though I can see the logic in that, because for me, the Man City game was so good that it doesn't really matter what happens for the rest of the season, because that created some real memories. And it was such a special evening at Carrow that kind of that will be the memory of the season, whatever happens from here. So, yeah, it was horrible, but football's football. Yeah, I, I don't think that we need to. I don't think we need to dwell on it any more than uh, any more than than this as a as a discussion. Really, as fans, the the international break has come at a time that hopefully will will get us to to bandage some people up and and make make us healthy again. Um, it's just a shame that it's come after a result that we then have to dwell on, um, and it, and it's hard to not get something out of you know get a game to to to, to kind of brush the cobwebs off and go again too too soon. Um, but but looking ahead at the the games we've got coming up, um, where do you where do you boys feel that you know the, the next set of points is going to come from for, for Norwich? Well, Man United at home <laughs> seems yeah. more winnable than Bournemouth away to me, and I think partly that's. Waterworld. United. <laughs> United are in awful form. Um, we're better at home than we are away. But also, it's another extra week of potential recuperation for some players. So, United yes. at home would be... If I was going to pick where our next point we're going to come from, I would say United at home. That's perfect. Along come Norwich territory, though. I think they haven't they won away. They haven't won away in about like ten or twelve games. Well, since the PSG result, I think they haven't won away from home. So I've got a funny. Actually, weirdly enough, I think we can go to Bournemouth and we can get a result because I think the the bit that we've maybe glossed over a little bit in terms of the Villa analysis is central defensive midfield. We just had nothing and and actually as much and i put it out on twitter there's just so many people out there that hate on alex tetty and I, I just can't get it well i can get why they they think he's a terrible footballer because he can't actually pass the ball that well but it was just so blindingly obvious that if alex tetty had been in that side one he'd have kept it simple so he wouldn't have tried the kind of expansive balls that that Leitner was taking on, which then caused us to subsequently lose possession. But two, as soon as there was turnover of the ball, positionally, we were all over the shop. And I think if you'd have stuck a half-decent central defensive midfielder in front of our defence with Leitner or with Kenny McLean, it doesn't really matter to me which one of those had have played, um, there's no way we'd have been that open. There's no way we'd have been torn apart. There's no way we'd have lost... 5-1. In fact, you know, as you'd alluded to, Tom, you know, it wasn't a 5-1 game. It was just our mistakes that kind of led to that. And I don't think we'd have made those kinds of mistakes had we had someone of that ilk in the side. Um, or, so I think, or, or perhaps we'd have had Amadou playing in his actual position, which, I mean, I yeah. personally cannot wait to see him play Absolutely. where he's supposed to play because I think how well he has done. Uh, he really struggled with um, them tonking the ball up to a big lad. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was proper route one, most of the football that Villa played um, first half. Um, and they uh, and it worked for them in the same way as it works for Burnley and fair play, if that's what you want to watch. Um, but the, the, Amadou had no, nothing, no answers to it. Ben did slightly better when, but, you know, but let's have it right. Wesley knew to go and stand next to Amadou. He knew where to go and stand to, to, to make sure it was, it was difficult. But, I mean, going, looking ahead, so um, I, I honestly think that the next, the reason I wanted to bring it up is I, I think the next six weeks, um, in six weeks' time, we will know full well whether or not we're staying up or going down. The reason for that is there isn't another run of fixtures like this Um for, for the remainder of the season. Um, so I, I honestly think that six of the next eight games 
are eminently winnable and points gettable, um, both away and, and home. So a point is, is very, very reasonable away, and a, and a win is very, very reasonable at home. Um, so we've got Bournemouth, which we... Um, which will, whose style will uh, suit us better. We're not going to get bullied and run over as much like we were against Villa. I mean, I, I felt physically we were, we were bullied on, on Saturday um, in a way that we haven't been since maybe the previous championship season. Um, so you've got Bournemouth away. I, I still think Norwich against Man United is is one where you don't predict points from because, it, you know, that is, like John said, a long-come Norwich territory. They're, they're, you know, they're bound to get their new manager just in time <laughs> for, to, to, yeah. to play us. Um, uh, and then, uh, then we've got Brighton away. That is a, a point away. Yes, they play some good football. Yes, they put some teams away. Yes, they've had some good results. But again, you know, if you're going to get an away point, that is one of the nicer places to go and play. Um, Watford, I know you thought they were going to be Champions League, but they're dog shit. Um, we've got them at home on a Friday night. Everton, likewise, really, really struggling. Hopefully they won't have their new um, boss uh, boss by then. Um, they will. Uh, they'll, uh, they'll have uh, been uh, silver. Okay, well, okay, well, maybe they've had they've been off silver and they would have already had their first three games of the managerial bounce. But the point is, they are still a team that, that's yeah. struggling. They're going to be in transition Agreed. at best. Then you've got Arsenal coming to Carrow. Then you've got Southampton relegation candidates, and you've got Sheffield United, who are probably going to be mid-table, um, and they're, they'll end up coming back to the mean and be towards the bottom by the end, like a Burnley. Um, but and so they might have slowed down in some of their momentum by then. So yeah, Sheffield United, Southampton, Everton, Watford. Brighton and Bournemouth all coming up in the next six weeks. They are eminently points gettable games. And and I think if we are looking, you know, on the evening of the 7th of, of December, if we are, you know, we've got a tricky looking um, kind of Christmas and New Year run. Um, if we if we are sitting six to nine points clear of the, the relegation zone at that point, we can be very, very confident of how the rest of the season is going to go. Likewise, if we are in the relegation point, that's a, 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 a relegation zone at that point, I can't see us getting out of it purely because we don't have a two or three game forgiving run from there on the rest of the season. It, it goes back to more like what we've had so far, which is, oh, brilliant, you get a Watford, uh, but then you've got West Ham Chelsea to follow it up. You get a Burnley, but then you get a Man City to finish it. Um, or you have Southampton, Everton, but um, you know, you've got Liverpool, Leicester and Arsenal just either side of them. You know that, that's, that's what the rest of the season looks like whereas this next these next six weeks yes there's Man U and, and Arsenal in there but one it's not the same Man U as it used to be and the, and the teams all around there are, 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 are teams we can get out if we're going to get anyone in the league they are going to be the teams we're going to get points from you know and that's not based on historic knowledge they are mostly in the bottom half of the Premier League at the moment um, I, so, I agree so with I that. think it's a huge six weeks I agree with that to an extent in so much as the next six weeks far massive However, I've been saying to, to anyone who will listen, I think it's really necessary that, that Norwich almost, we kind of have to stumble through these next six weeks because until we get the likes of, of a Christoph Zimmerman back or we get to January and we've got an opportunity to, to perhaps get another you know, classy central defender in, maybe on loan or, or look to sign someone, I still think they're, they're, we're going to be susceptible to defensive lapses. We're not going to have as much leadership in the side as you know, some, a team that Christoph Zimmerman is playing in will have. Um, but along the way, we need to pick up points, at least a kind of point per game average. I think, you know, I think you perhaps, Tom, you're being a little bit optimistic to say that we'll be six to nine points clear of a relegation zone, you know, come towards middle of December. I can't, just can't see that at all. And I think we will continue to stumble and we'll continue to have the odd brilliant result. But, but where I disagree is 
if we're in that relegation zone at Christmas or if we come out of that into January and then suddenly, with the exception of Tim Closer, we've pretty much got a fully fit squad. I think this club has has earned our trust in terms of the fact of they can now get a result against anyone and they can sustain a run of results against high-profile teams. I know we did it in the Championship and it's a completely different league, but we looked at you know that that horror run that we had kind of december january time last season and we were like shit if we're third or fourth off the back of this then we're going to we're going to have a real sniff at, at perhaps going up automatic we came out at the back of that and we were top of the league you know having just beaten leeds and ipswich so i don't think you can write off this side i think if you if you get into january and we're i don't know 18th and we're a couple of points adrift i would still absolutely back us to stay up So Tom Parsley's poor young children aren't very well, so he's had to leave us. So now it's just me and John. So from four to two, but we're going to do the listener questions, which I think John has. We've got loads of listener questions. We asked for listener questions and you responded in droves, probably because when we lose, everything's all shit and people like to ask questions. Um, So I will start. And our first one, Mr. Lorne, is from Lee on Twitter, he hasn't got a surname, so he's just at LeeJK612, who says, Do you think Can't a poor be. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do you think a poor overall season or a good overall season would be more likely for us to lose key players in the transfer window? So I think what he means by that is if we're doing really well in January, are we more likely to lose the likes of Max Aarons and Jamal Lewis? Or actually if we're doing really badly, um may it be that people think they can scavenge off us that's a good question that i probably think i probably think having a worse season makes it more likely to lose players because i think teams are well aware of how good max Aarons and ben godfrey etc are and it's less so that other teams can come in and be like oh well you're not doing very well so we're going to take your players because you need the money but more maybe heads turning and Ben Godfrey and Max Allen thinking, hang on a minute, I'm I'm better than this. Mm. So I'm I'm off to Leicester. I think actually I don't know, you didn't come to that supporters dinner, did you? But there was a um supporters dinner that the club laid on and um essentially they have all the supporter groups in and it's the executive team and Delia and Michael and you can pretty much sit around a table and ask them anything. And that question came up, not necessarily specifically about if we're doing well or if we're doing badly, but actually if the big boys come calling in January and we get, you know, like a £25 million um, bid for Jamal Lewis, which I'd say in today's market, roughly about fair, um, what position would the club would be in? And Stuart Weber was, it was really interesting. It was a considered kind of answer in so much as, look, we're not going to dismiss this out of hand because we'd have to look at what's right for the club. But he kind of feels like because they've put the faith in those youngsters and they've given them their chance and they've, you know, they've been able to develop them and, and, you know, kind of built a bit of rapport and trust with them, that actually they could maybe go to them and say, do you know what, give me another 12 months or give me another six months, give me to the end of the season and then you can have your move. So I thought that was quite an interesting dynamic that was evolving at the club that, you know, look, we've given you, we've given you a start here, you kind of owe us. And I think it would be really interesting to see that tested. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point, actually. And I think 
I don't get any sense from the Ben Godfrey's and Max Allen's that they are that kind of player who's going to throw all their toys out the pram and be like, no. no, I'm off. I'm better than you, um, as some other former players might have been. Oh, so are you naming any I, names? Um, no, I don't need to name James Madison. It's quite obvious. <laughs> 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 it might be referred to. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's a big problem this season or even possibly next season. And that's why I think our transfer business in terms of getting everyone on long-term contracts in the summer was so good. And why I'd rather, even after Saturday, I'd much rather be a Norwich fan than a Villa fan at the moment. Because I think our future is so much brighter than theirs. I think expanding that question a little bit more though. So say for example, and none of us think it will happen, but say we do unfortunately get relegated. We can't possibly hold on to Ben Godfrey and Jamal Lewis and Max Ahrens, can we? I mean, they will all have Premier League offers and how are the club going to be able to stand in their way? And then what kind of knock-on effect does that have to the club? Because that's, you know, that's almost all of your top talent ripped out and you can probably now start putting Todd Campbell in that mould as well. Well, it depends on whether or not they can hold on to them and whether or not they want to go. Like, it all goes back to what Stuart Weber said in terms of if he can say to them, look, we gave you your chance. You've had a good season in the Premier League, but come on, you owe us one season in the championship if we don't get promoted back again then off you go then i can i can see that happening but i can also see a situation where we kind of we're happy to sell one or two of them because we've already got someone in the door who we think can replace them yeah and i think that's fair i think that's fair here we go so let's get on to some atmosphere style questions so chris lacy at lacy Five 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 six six six. Again, another catchy Twitter handle. Super catchy. Yeah, I remembered that one. And I think I'm going to know your answer, Mr. Lawn. But is it time to stop goal music, especially when you're five goals down? And I Definitely guess he's hinting. He's hinting at the ridiculousness of goal music being played when we scored our See, consolation. I would stop it for uh, goals that mean something, and then I'd put it on for Saturdays. So what goal for- music is. Awful. That, like if you if it's nil nil and you score the first goal, goal score goal music's awful. Like if it's a tight game or you get an equaliser or even like you're two one up and you go three one up, no goal music. But if you're five nil down at home to a relegation rival and you score a, the kind of goal that Dermot scored, that's the time for goal music. Do you reckon? It was it was so awfully brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> There weren't many highlights, were there? But here at that titty music, come on to celebrate, uh, not even a consolation, was was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I ditch it. Uh, on the I basis of all... being so bad, it's funny. Keep it for those okay. situations. Here's an even better atmosphere style question. So our friend Steve O'Cook from my football writer asked, and this is tailor made for you, Mister Lawn. If money was no object, what would you guys plan to further improve the display slash atmosphere at Fortress Carrow Road? So it's pretty much blank canvas, and I think I know some of your answers, but I'd like to hear them anyway. Um, so I'd love to do the Dortmund confetti cannons. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, some stuff off the top tier into the lower tier would be really cool. Some like German-style TIFOs that climb up to the roof of the upper Barclay would be excellent. Uh, give every single person in the ground a flag. Um, 
one that I would like to see, but it would have to be club controlled for obvious legal reasons, is uh, more smoke and pyro because it it just looks cool. Like you can't you can't argue that it looks cool, but and people want it in the ground as you saw with mm. the Villa fans on Saturday. People want it to happen. So rather than making fans smuggle it in and then have all the inherent dangers of that and the risk of people who don't want it in their faces being next to someone who smuggled some in, then get some club officials to have some at the front of the stand. And when we score, have a green and yellow wall of smoke, but do it sensibly. That's good. I don't think you're thinking big enough because you've given me a much better answer on this subject before. So if I go back to the question, if money was no object, so you've got a limitless pot of cash to inject into atmosphere. Well, how far do you take it? Do you uh, like that's, rip out the entire saying. Barclay and yeah, I'd make go. one giant terrace? Yeah. And I'd get rid of the corporate seats in the middle that mean that we can't do a lot of the stuff that we do at the moment because we get snotty emails from people saying, oh, you're blocking my view of people warming up. So I'd get rid of all of them. Um, I'd lower ticket prices so that people can come back to the football who've been forced to have it previously, who want to be there to make an atmosphere and not there because they can afford 500 quid and therefore they're going to stand there come what may. Um, I'd probably actually demolish most of Cow Road and just make it all one big terraced bowl. One big terraced bowl. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, like well, four, four big terrace stands and then I'd maybe have some seating uh, in the top tier of one of the side ones for people who do want to sit and get a good view. That's very charitable of you. That's good, I mean, that is all for atmosphere. Like, it's not about fairness, it's about atmosphere. Fair enough. I, well, I think money is no object. Money should be no well, object. Money should be no object, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we're a self-financing club and all that. If money was no object, I mean, I'm firmly with you, but not so much in terms of all four stands. I would flatten the Barclay and I would make that some kind of Dortmund Wall-esque, you know, kind of um, end stand. And... But purely around the fact that actually the lower Barclays fine as it is, but as you've just alluded to, we've had several discussions with the club, some of which have been more recently, um, and they have been to an end of oh you, look we'd like 3D tifos or you know we'd like surface suspended off the upper tier rather than you know kind of the the kind of quite horizontally raked lower Barclay, and so they can't really be seen as well as we'd we'd like them to be, and that's purely because we can't piss off the corporates. So any time that the corporates is is impeded, that is an issue for the club. And I get why it is an issue for the club, because those people pay a lot of money for those seats. But at the same time, that's not really what football's about for me. The football is about the other 3,000 people below the corporates and the other 3,000 people above the corporates who are all sat there actually wanting the atmospherics and all the rest of it and, and the feeling that that brings. So yeah, uh, flat in the Barclay. I think you could understand it a lot more if you were blocking views of the game. So if yeah. you watch German football, their ultras behind each end have their massive flags up all game, regardless of what's going on. And I can fully understand. I could see that would be an issue for a lot might of people. Be like, yeah. No, I don't. I want to watch the football, not have a flag in my face. But I don't think it's a reasonable excuse uh, to complain about your view of the warm-up being uh, hindered. What about the handshake? No. <laughs> Not reasonable. That Why would, that do you want to watch 22 men shake hands? 22, 
depends who those men are. If it's Christoph Zimmerman, I'd watch him shake hands with anyone. However, yeah, but uh, you no. wouldn't do it over and above 3,000 people's enjoyment of something. Concur. And let, well, I guess what I'm saying is uh, if you find, if you're desperate to watch people shake hands, maybe football isn't for you. <laughs> fan police. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy to be the fan police about that. Yeah, fair. Next up, we have Alex Potter on Twitter. You can just answer this very quickly, Lorne. Would you sack Farker if we go down? No. Yeah, me too. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> it kind of seemed like a loaded question that you wanted Farker to be sacked. How far uh, down have we got to go before you would sack him? Ooh, so, yeah, that's a good question. So if we did go down and we were languishing at Christmas and there was no real hope of us going back up, or this was a write-off of the season, you'd probably have to start considering it then, would you not? Unless... No, I wouldn't, because well, we won unless, the season before we got promoted. But, but contextually, Farker's kind of got his team where he wants it to be, and, and certainly you would, have ex- you would expect... But I didn't expect Farker to come in and immediately be competitive in the championship. Yeah, we had some really good players, some seasoned professionals... We also had a lot of dead wood that we kind of accepted needed to be moved on. We're not in that position now. Now, the only, and it would be contextually where we're at at that point, but if we then talked about Cantwell's gone, Godfrey's gone, Pookie's gone, Jamal Lewis has gone, Tim Krull's gone, you know, who are our most influential players that have all left, and the club are kind of giving us that, look, you need to give us a bit of time to rebuild, then yeah, fair enough. However, if we went down with this squad and retained the core of it, and then we started to struggle in the championship, that would suggest to me that something has gone on behind the scenes because I would absolutely back these players and Daniel Farker to, to motivate this bunch of players to not necessarily get straight back up, but to be really, really competitive and be contesting at least the playoffs and beyond. So I think you'd have to look at it. But again, it's all context, isn't it? And we're just kind of stretching out the question to its end degree. There you go. Next up, we have Richard Jeffrey from Twitter, our friend, who asked, would you start, and I don't really know how to say his name, but he's the under-23s captain for Maywo. That'll do, won't it? Alongside, <laughs> alongside Godders, if he's fit at Bournemouth, I would if you're asking which you are. So there you yeah. go. He's given us his view as well. I think I would. I think I'd rather have a natural centre-half in there so you can move Amadou forward and have a bit more protection in the midfield even if that centre-half is very, very raw. Because, as we saw on Saturday, when you've got no protection in front of your defence, it doesn't really matter how good your defenders are. So, yes, I would play a natural centre-half centre-half on uh, against Bournemouth, regardless of... Well, not regardless of their age, but if we've got an under-23 who's good enough for Farker to put on the bench, then start him. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. And I was a huge advocate before he got, or before the injury became known. I would have put Grant Hanley in on Saturday and moved Amadou forward. And I think that probably would have solved a lot of the issues that we faced. And also, what it would have, I think it would have achieved as well is, as we were talking about earlier, Amadou in particular, but I think Ben Godfrey was susceptible to it as well. They were completely outthought and outmuscled by Wesley. And every yeah. time there was a hopeful ball went forward, 
actually what Grant Hanley may have done early doors when he saw that, that was happening is you kind of agricultural knee in the back let's just see what you're made of you know I might take a yellow card for this but you're going to be a little bit hurt and perhaps think about holding the ball up next time and that's um, another element as well of missing the defensive midfielder because it's much easier to hold up a ball and take it on your chest and your thigh and bully a centre half who stood behind you if you've got no one in front of you yeah. as well. Like that's where um, Teti or Amadou, had he gone one forward, would have been useful is any anything loose off Wesley's chest or thigh, the defensive midfielder sweeps up and we didn't have that. Are you there? Yeah, are you there? Yeah, I just I didn't think you'd finished your sentence, but you obviously uh, have. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Will from Twitter next, and he's asked about our thoughts on the membership scheme now that Brighton hasn't sold out. And I'd say it was in, it was entirely predictable that the likes of your Brightons, especially on the back of a couple of losses weren't you know away from home weren't going to sell out and i'm not sure this is the the test of the membership scheme but my thoughts on the membership scheme kind of go back to source in so much as it's almost like a stealth tax on away ticket prices anyway so that's point one and point two and i think this is where it's fundamentally flawed is about families and about young people actually accessing tickets so, you know, I've said from personal experience, I've completely refused to buy an away, season, uh, an away ticket membership. But because my 11-year-old had really got into the football last year, she was fully up for going for away games this season and I was fully up for taking her. But I won't spend £100 to get me a chance to get a ticket to then go to these games. I'll take my chances on, on mates or, you know, stuff going to general sale or all the rest of it. And I think the more people who could have done that, the more powerful the message would have been to the club. However, 6,000 people bought them. So from a club perspective, it's probably a relative success now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the test of the membership scheme is kind of irrelevant. The, the problem with the membership scheme is charging people for access to tickets and losing all sense of loyalty that people had built up over the years mm. in exchange for cash and it goes back to that thing of like you shouldn't be rewarding people just on their ability to pay so the fact that Brighton hasn't sold out which I didn't know until you just said but that doesn't validate the membership scheme or it doesn't validate it or invalidate it in my view like the, the problems aren't to do with whether or not you can get tickets it's how you go about putting yourself in a position to get tickets i.e. spending a lot of money that makes it mm -hmm. a problem Agree. Absolutely agree. Let's have a ridiculous question because there were a couple of ridiculous questions that came in. We've got, ah, here we go, Matthew Laxton on Twitter. This is definitely one for you, Lorne, as I know you, you keep up with all this kind of celebrity gossip. Do you believe Rebecca Vardy or Colleen Rooney? I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Well... Tom, can you just delete this bit from the... <laughs> what? what? What has happened? Would you like me to explain it to you? I don't know. Would I? Yeah, Probably not. explain it to me. Probably not. So, Colleen, Colleen Rooney, essentially, well, the Rooneys always have ridiculous stories um, appear about them and their personal lives in the sun, as I understand it. I don't read the sun, but this is how the story seems to have played out. 
So Colleen Rooney got a little bit suspicious as to there was stuff that was coming out about her personal life, apparently, that she thought, well, not many people would have known that, or it may have come from Instagram. So she had a suspicion as to... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. on. So she was putting stuff on Instagram, and then she was surprised that people could see it. Okay, so, no, I think, no, actually, no, sorry, I tell a lie. So... No, I've got that wrong. So stuff was coming out about her in the papers that no one else would have known, perhaps apart from a close circle of people. Right. So she thought she would test the scenario. And apparently on Instagram stories, I don't know much about Instagram, um, what you can do is restrict the people that can actually see your Instagram story. Right. So you can block a load of people from seeing your Instagram story. And because she suspected that it was one person, she blocked everyone from viewing her Instagram stories apart from one person um, right. and then started putting fake stuff on her Instagram stories, like talking about stuff that hadn't actually happened to see if that would get leaked to the press. Oh, and nice. it did. So nice. that then subsequently got leaked to the sun and the only person who had access to um, the Instagram stories was Rebecca Vardy, Jamie Vardy's wife. Right. Um, I take it Rebecca Vardy has said, nah, mate, it wasn't me. So Colleen Rooney has then tweeted about this today, saying, like, explaining pretty much what I've just told you there. And Rebecca Vardy has apparently gone, oh, I can't believe you're accusing me of this. Actually, there's multiple people that have got access to my Instagram account. And, you know, she's going to conduct, I think, I might have even seen the words, a forensic investigation into who might have been accessing her Instagram account. So she must have PAs and all sorts, I guess, to, to manage her business. But, and I saw a tweet from um, Andy Head of my football writer, and it, it just made me laugh. And he's completely right that the ridiculousness of this situation and the situation playing out on Twitter just made me think, actually, that's what Twitter was for. It was really nice, perhaps about four or five years ago, before you had the likes of Trump or Farage or whoever spouting absolute nonsense that as much as you try to avoid it, you can't really avoid it because there's people in your own echo chamber who are whinging about you know, those kinds of people. But everyone seemed, I can't believe you missed it, everyone seemed to be talking about this particular story and how ridiculous it was. But, and for the record, just to answer your question, Matthew, I believe Colleen Rooney and I bet Rebecca Vardy had something to do with it. <laughs> well, I have learned some things about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. Um, I, believe, I believe the truth will out. I think it whatever, will out. Whatever that is. In life, I've learned the truth usually does out eventually. Yeah. Good, good, good lesson. Good moral podcasting, that. Yeah, nice. Should we have another question? Yeah, go on. Let's let's round up with a funny one. Let's make this the last one. Well, I don't think we've got any more funny ones. That was as good as it got for the funny ones, and then you didn't really get the reference anyway, so it didn't really work. But let's ask Ben Newton's one from Twitter. So he. Asks a jokey question in the, did the people who think we're nailed on for relegation go to any matches last season? And I would suggest that they probably did, if I'm honest, but, but they just, I don't know, silently accepted what was going on, waiting for their chance to moan. But the more pertinent question he asks, and I think it is a good question, is 
on a serious note, who is the one player you think we have missed most this season? And I can think of about three players that we really miss right now. Oh, yeah. I think the person that we missed most on Saturday, who we haven't yet already talked about, because obviously a defensive midfielder and the centre-half is key, but I really think we missed Tim Krull in terms of just his mm. instinctiveness of playing out from the back. And I'm not saying that there was a problem with Michael McGovern or that he played out from the back badly. It's just that Krull doesn't tend to put the ball down for a goal kick and then look up to see who's on for the short goal kick. He just puts it down and plays it. Whereas McGovern was putting it down, then taking a step back and then sort of looking up to be like, right, where is my ball? And that was what gave Villa the chance to get higher up the pitch quicker, which stopped us playing out of the back as much as anything. So I think we really miss Tim Krull. And I think if I could, if I could just pluck one person back to be fit, it would be Zimmerman for a yeah. similar reason in that I just think we miss his, just his presence and his talking everyone through the game, his leadership, his aerial ability, his calmness on the ball and the fact that he is an actual defender. Yeah. And I think that that subsequently allows you to put Amadou in defensive midfield, you know, if Teti and Tribal don't make the next game. Um, and I think for all the reasons you've outlined, I'd completely agree with you, Christoph Zimmerman. It has been the biggest miss ever since he's been out. So, yeah. Zimmerman then Krull. would be my second uh, bring back. Yeah, and I think that's a tricky one because Krull's only really been missing for a couple of games, hasn't he? But it has been highlighted how good he's been this season because he has been one of our best players this season. And how good... And it's really interesting, actually. I looked back on... I can't remember if it was a... Twitter post or a, or a Facebook post, but there were so many people last season. I can't remember how I found it, but it was something about last season. And so many people were absolutely berating Tim Krull and saying his distribution is woeful and there's no way he should be allowed to play out from the back. It must have been Facebook if it was these kind of comments, to be fair. <laughs> people <laughs> like to get upset about things, though, don't they? But it, it, was at, at, it was just ridiculous. And then you, you contextualise that now and, and actually look at, genuinely having a keeper who isn't very good at playing out from the back. And we all, as you said, we completely accepted it because it's Michael McGovern. It's not his natural instinct. He hasn't been drilled to do this in training every week because he's purely been like a backup keeper. And we kind of probably, the coaching team probably just accepted, look, he's 35 years old now. You're not going to be able to, to change his game in that respect. And technically he's not good enough to do it on the deck. But I always had faith in, in Krull's ability to play out from the back. And technically he actually looked relatively decent with the ball at his feet. For me, it was more about Krull's concentration levels and they're absolutely sharp now. So Krull is a big miss and probably has been the biggest miss or one of the biggest misses over the last couple of games. But certainly over the season, it's got to be Zimbo, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Zimbo. Yeah. And that's all the questions we've got. Excellent. I, I, think. Think this was, I think this was a delight. And in the absence of Tom, obviously we can't do a quiz, so we're very sorry about that. So it's just really for us to say thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.
Hello. Hello. Just thought everyone shut up, yeah? Maybe Tom's gone. Off. Tom's gone. I <laughs> think he got bored. Maybe he his kid like got. You. You know, or his kid got poorly again. Know, Tom. Tom, are you there? <laughs> we miss you, Tom. This will be good on the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> Best bit of the entire pod, the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he? Where's he gone? I think he got bored. Maybe he can hear us, but we can't hear him. Yeah, we should be nice about him. Right, I'm back. Both boys woke up and were crying, but you were making you were making a good point. So I just muted my microphone and went up and saw them. Now Zachary is <clears throat> sitting down here with me. Um, I'll give you a call back in about 10, 15 minutes if I can get this one back to sleep. Right. Right. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.